Should you be concerned about the Oklahoma Sooners' number 42 ranked recruiting class for the 2023 cycle? No! And we'll tell you why on today's episode of Locked on Sooners. You are Locked on Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Sooners Nation, and thank you for joining us on Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can follow Josh on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, how's it going, man? Oh, well... We'll dive into baseball this evening. And, you know, outside of that, everything's going great. Uh, everything's going great. So what? There's some concern out there about Oklahoma's 2023 recruiting class? Yeah, we'll just say I saw a little bit of discussion happening about this. I saw one person throw out a tweet. Our, our good friend Travis Skoll um, at the Travis and Indy Sooner show um, also now one of your colleagues over at 94.7 The Ref um, kind of replied to it, and that's kind of how I saw it. And then also the great Nick Bonito got in on it as well. And just the, the question was out there, like, should we be concerned that Oklahoma's recruiting class in June, late June of the 2022 calendar year, the recruiting class for 2023 is currently ranked number 42, and Travis and Nick, in their wisdom, both said no and I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that because I feel like if that's a question in one person's mind, it's probably a question in more than one person's mind. I, I feel like there's probably a number of people that are, are seeing Texas grabbing a bunch of recruits and Florida getting a bunch of recruits and commitments and, and Alabama is starting to land some commitments. And they're starting to wonder to themselves, well, where's all of Oklahoma's commitments? Where are all the, the, the big time four-star, five-star recruits that are going to be coming to Oklahoma? And I just want to tell you, slow down a little bit. Have patience. It's going to be okay. Let's not forget that when Brent Venables took over at the University of Oklahoma in the second week of December, I believe it was, they had dropped from a top 10 recruiting class under Lincoln Riley to number 28, according to 24-7 sports team rankings. Within two months, less than two months until National Signing Day, Brent Venables and the coaching staff, that's Kale Gundy, DeMarco Murray, Jeff Levy, Bill Biedenboe, all of the, the hangovers, plus all the new guys as well, Miguel Chavis, Todd Bates, Brandon Hall, Jay Valai, all these guys put their collective efforts together and raised Oklahoma's recruiting class for the 2022 cycle to number eight in the country. In less than two months, they jumped 20 spots in the team recruiting rankings. What is Brent Venables and his staff going to be able to accomplish with a full year in the recruiting cycle? Yeah, they might've been up behind on a few offers, but they had some guys that they were already recruiting at other places, i.e. Jeff Levy at Old Miss, talking with Jackson Arnold. We talked with Jackson Arnold uh, last week or two weeks ago now, and he shared that part of the reason that he's at Oklahoma is because of Jeff Levy and the relationship that they had. Now, Oklahoma's number 42 in the country right now. 
You want to look at who is around Oklahoma right now? Oh, look, there's Michigan, number 43. LSU, number 44. Florida State, number 45. The Kings of the 2022 cycle, Texas A&M at number 49. Uh, should we go a little bit further? NC State, who's going to be pretty good in the ACC this year, number 51. Ole Miss, 52. Mississippi State, 53. Now, you might be asking yourself or telling yourself, oh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss in the, in the, in the 50s. That's not surprising. Well, it is a bit surprising because you look at the 2022 rankings and every single SEC team finished inside the top 32. Yes, including Vanderbilt. And so with all these teams that are still, you know, 42 and below beyond Oklahoma right now, I just want to tell you, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Brent Venables and his staff know what they're doing. They are a patient bunch. They're not going to be in any hurry to offer a player. And they're not going to be in any hurry to make sure that a, a commit, they're going to make sure a commit is going to be an actual commit, not a commit flip later on down the road, not a guy that we're trying, we're worrying about up until nas- national signing day, signing day. Brent Venable said it himself. And I know I'm kind of going long winded here, but they're going to value every single offer that they make. And that means that they want their players and the guys that commit to them to value their commitment as well. And so, I mean, we've already seen a guy like Ashton Cozart, he flipped. He wanted to explore more options. I think at the time that he wanted to explore his options, Brent Venables and the staff were like, fine, you're more than welcome to go, but don't expect to be coming back to Oklahoma because we're not going to play second fiddle to anybody. We value our offer. We value your commitment. You're gone. Adios. Moving on. So where Oklahoma stands now, I mean, I just saw from Saturday night, they got another crystal ball projection for four-star athlete out of Oklahoma, Jacoby Johnson, one of the best players in the state of Oklahoma. They're going to be just fine. Now, Josh, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this. Don't worry, Oklahoma Sooners fans. It's going to be okay. By the time we come around to National Signing Day, I guarantee, and you can hold me to this in the YouTube comments, where we're nearly 2,000 subscribers deep now, you can hold me to this. They will be a top 10 class by the end of the 2023 cycle. Now, I know we usually bring Parker Thune on to make, scene, make the bold recruiting commitments, but I'm going to do it this time. They will be a top 10 class by the time the 2023 National Signing Day rolls around. I think so, too. Yeah, I'm not in any way panicky yet over where Oklahoma's at. And actually, I've been sitting here trying to research on the fly what kind of Oklahoma's crystal ball forecast looks like so you mentioned jacoby johnson they did just pick up uh a crystal ball projection for the talented athlete wide receiver out of mustang high school uh jaquay's petaway uh that's a four-star wide receiver that and, and this by the way all of these names i'm about to mention all within the past week that oklahoma has picked up these crystal ball projections so they got one for petaway there heath ozeda that's an offensive tackle, three-star offensive tackle. Got a crystal ball predi- prediction in for him. Samuel Oma- Samuel Omasigo, linebacker, six foot one, three-star. We've seen, I think, cr- crystal ball projections for Samuel uh, Omasigo in the past, but there's another one, crystal ball projection in for Oklahoma. And I think I'm missing a couple here along the way that uh, isn't Jacoby Johnson. But just to that point, Oklahoma has – momentum on the recruiting trail those are several names that as soon as these experts like brandon drum and parker thune and you know the folks uh, over at rivals 
the Josh McQuishans of the world, when they're putting in future casts and you're seeing 247 Sports crystal ball predictions, is it an exact science? No, but with a, a lot of these guys now, John, I mean, they're batting 90% on their projections. So they're going to be pretty comfortable that somebody's coming to Oklahoma when they put that type of uh, prediction in. I think for me, I'm going to get to the point to where I look at the number 42 and say, oh, man, there's only seven commits for Oklahoma. They're ranked 42nd nationally in this 2023 class, and time's running out. The hourglass, when we get to that point where all of a sudden I start feeling like maybe the sand is starting to run out on this thing, just a little bit, John, would be, okay, we get through the month of July, we get through the month of August, and boom, we kick the season off. And let's say Oklahoma has only even added a couple more commitments between right now and then, then I would entertain maybe there's some some cause for concern. But where we sit right now with all these different crystal ball projections that are out there, still some of these other prospects that maybe there's not projections out for, but David Hicks, Anthony Hill, I mean, on and on and on. There's plenty of targets out there that are really, really talented guys that are listed as warm toward Oklahoma that are they going to land every single one of those guys? Probably not, but they're going to land their fair share of them, John. So I would imagine by the time, again, we get through July and August, here's my bold prediction for you. I think Oklahoma will have at a minimum 14 commitments. I think they'll have doubled what they have right now. Yeah, and I think that's very, very possible. I think we're going to see a Samuel Omasigo commitment this week, actually. I believe it's on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. So, And that's somebody who's been projected to Oklahoma for several months now. Uh, another name that we hadn't talked about is Anthony Evans. They just received another on-three projection for him. Uh, he was a Arkansas commit at one point in time. Uh, had been a yeah an Arkansas commit, reopened his commitment. He is looking at Georgia. He's looking at Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. But Oklahoma is right in the mix for that. He's a speedy wide receiver, three-star guy, but has this kind of Marquise Brown type of speed where he can take the top off of defense, which could be huge addition with Marvin Mims draft eligible for 2023. You got a lot of really big guys at your wide receiver position, but not a lot of like speedy guys at the moment. And there's several guys that they're targeting. Uh, He's one of them. And then there's the uh, four-star wide receiver out of uh, Oklahoma. His name is... um, blanking on it right now because i'm doing this on the fly as well and oh man this is terrible we talked about jacques petaway jacoby johnson well jacoby johnson's one but it's uh the shorter kid yes cole adams thank you my man josh picking me up on the fly um yeah cole adams another guy that's gonna be able to take the top off of defense so i think they're while they've got the Nick Anderson the Jaden Gibson and they're you know trying to target some other big time you know tall lengthy athletic wide receivers are also trying to mix it up a little bit adding some speed guys as well so that they can you know threaten teams deep but man it, it's going to be a good couple months for the Oklahoma Sooners there's no reason to expect that Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and Brandon Hall and Ted Roof and Jay Valai aren't going to be able to land some commitments over the next couple months similarly on the offensive side of the football there's no reason to suspect that you know DeMarco Murray won't be able to land another you know top recruit a four-star recruit at running back or Kale Gundy at wide receiver or Bill Biedenboe he's going to add to the offensive line ranks it's just going to happen and I mean we already saw that Jeff Levy 
was able to bring in Jackson Arnold and Oklahoma was really only in consideration for like a month and Jackson Arnold committed. So give it time, give it patience. They're going to commit. It's going to be a good group. I think 14 is a great, great landing spot for where they'll end up by the end of the summer. But let's talk some baseball, Josh. It didn't go the Oklahoma Sooners way. We'll talk to you about that after we talk about Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and, and the Major League Baseball season. You can also get in on NFL and NCAA football, future odds, who's going to win the Super Bowl, who's going to win the national championship, all that good stuff over at Bet Online, where it's your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net is the fastest and the easiest way to check on, on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. And thank you so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We appreciate you subscribing on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. And check us out over on YouTube. Uh, like I kind of mentioned in the first segment, we're this close to reaching our goal of 2,000 subscribers by the start of the 2022 college football season. We're just 55 away at the moment. Help us get there by the end of June, and we're going to set a new goal for the, the start of the 2022 season. We're this close. We thank you all so much for, for jumping on board with us and, and hanging out. We hope you've really enjoyed our interviews with Jackson Arnold, Joshua Bates, and uh, Oklahoma's transfer pitcher from Michigan, Alex Taraco, over the last couple of weeks. we got another great interview coming up with Caleb Hicks, four-star running back commit for the Oklahoma Sooners. That'll be dropping in your feeds for uh, Monday night on the YouTube side, Tuesday morning on the podcast side. So there's your incentive to subscribe over on YouTube. Josh, we got to talk baseball, man. This weekend did not go the way any of us really thought. Oklahoma came out just struggling. Uh, it's kind of the nicest way I can say it. Just a lot of mental mistakes. Jake Bennett, who'd been fantastic all year long, struggled with control issues early. ESPN flashed a stat where he'd had three wild pitches all season long, and then he had three wild pitches in the first couple innings um, against Ole Miss. And could it have been the crowd? Could it have been the moment? I don't know what it was, but ultimately Oklahoma falls. They get swept by Ole Miss in the championship series. They lose on Saturday 10-3 to and then on Sunday 4-2. to Josh, just kind of your – your ultimate takeaways from the weekend. What did you think about Oklahoma's performance? Where do you want to take it? Well, it ended where it started, right? Yeah. In the championship series in the sense that it started with wild pitches for Oklahoma. And ultimately, the, the final couple of nails in the coffin were, again, wild pitches by Oklahoma. Initially by Jake Bennett and then by Trevin Michael. I thought, you know, whether or not it was a mix-up on signals at times between Jimmy Crooks and those two were, you know, respective pitchers, the starter in Bennett and then uh, obviously the closer in Trevin Michaels, or if it just, you know, were wild pitches, or if maybe a couple of those you feel like Jimmy Crooks could have stopped. You know, me watching, I kind of kind of felt like probably a little bit of all of that. Uh, you know, just overarching thoughts of the two games for Oklahoma – I don't know that I come away from the championship series or the championship final here and say that unequivocally the best team won. I think Ole Miss coming out of this thing, I, I think Ole Miss and Oklahoma 
while Ole Miss at one point was ranked number one and certainly had different expectations coming into the year than OU, really these two teams kind of at times in some ways found themselves on similar trajectories sort of all along. Oklahoma, the five series wins to close the regular season. Obviously, both teams got red hot coming down the home stretch. The only difference was Oklahoma, because of those five series wins in the Big 12 Tournament Championship, they weren't on the bubble. They were safely in, John. At one point in time, though, that kind of was the story of Oklahoma's season. Are they going to be in? Are they going to be out? Uh, obviously, uh, they found themselves safely in. Ole Miss was fortunate to be the last team really in the NCAA tournament field. And then both teams caught fire. So I don't know that I come away again from the championship final feeling like Ole Miss was just definitely the best team in America and they were better than Oklahoma. They were better than OU in these two games. And Oklahoma really was, you know, you kind of know in a championship final, you have to play clean baseball, right? You have to play error-free baseball. And I thought in really both games, we saw that Oklahoma, unfortunately, wasn't able to do that, whether it was Jimmy Crooks behind the plate, the wild pitches from the pitchers, even that first inning, right? The error from Peyton Graham. So those are kind of my big takeaways. And then just the bats, unfortunately, again, you get on this stage, we can talk about, you got to play error free. You got to play clean baseball. I thought Ole Miss was better in that regard than Oklahoma, but you need your stars to, to show up and really perform great too. And you know, Jake Bennett, honestly, I thought was really pretty good in game one, right? I agree. I, I can't say really too much negative about him. I, I thought, you know, at times he kind of got let down a little bit by, the, you know, either the defense around him or, you know, one of his wild pitches finding its way to the backstop when maybe it could have been stopped by Crooks back there. So I thought he was good. So I don't know if I can necessarily lump him in with what I'm about to say next. But really for me, when you talk about stars for Oklahoma, John, Cade Horton was kind of the lone star for OU that you you walk away from these two games and say that, hey, he was just great, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not a formula to Yeah, I agree 100%. I think, you know, Cade Horton showed up. He's the one guy that you expected to play well and you expected to have a great College World Series final, and he performed. I mean, 13 strikeouts over seven and a third – only allowed four hits, had the one hits hit batter. And I mean, what I don't know what more you could ask of him. Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners had bases loaded opportunity uh, and really were only able to come away with one run. And that's kind of, to me, another storyline of this series is, you know, in game one on Saturday, they had bases loaded and nobody out in a close ball game and came away with no runs. Now, credit to Mason Nichols from Ole Miss who was able to you know, get two strikeouts and induce a, a weak grounder to back to him uh, from Jimmy Crooks. Uh, but you know, Oklahoma, who had been so good um, with two outs, had been so good with runners in scoring position, they just weren't able to uh, you know, do what they needed to do. They weren't able to you know, manufacture runs when there were runners in scoring position, when they had you know, less than two outs. And that's where Ole Miss – was able to take advantage is Oklahoma's inconsistencies at the plate and somewhat inability to hit some of their sliders, some of their breaking pitches um, is, is kind of what really stood out in this one. And you know, Josh is talking about how, in addition to like Cade Horton being great, you know, he, he you know, the seven and a third, 13 strikeouts, only four hits allowed. 
I think one of the, the issues that crept up and something that was a bit of a surprise for me was Oklahoma struggles with running runners in scoring position it had two golden opportunities with bases loaded, you know, on Saturday with no outs bases loaded. And I think one out on Sunday and, you know, between the two instances only came with, came away with one run. Um, and that's not really going to be good enough. I think maybe they came away with a run on Saturday and a run on Sunday. So two runs, but that's not going to be good enough. Like you can't squander those opportunities. And again, you know, credit to the Ole Miss pitching staff, but you can't have bases loaded or first and third and less than two outs and not come away with just anything more than two runs and expect to win. And I think those were kind of the turning points of the series where you thought, okay, unless Oklahoma starts hitting with runners in scoring position, they're really going to struggle in this series because that's what they've been so great at uh, throughout the NCAA tournament is, you know, hitting with two outs, hitting with two strikes and with runners in scoring position. And I think all three of those um, Ole Miss was better at, whether on the defensive side, limiting Oklahoma or themselves hitting with two strikes. You talked about Jake Bennett because, I mean, in the in game one on Saturday, he was getting to two strikes a lot. Like he was getting to, you know, 0 2, 1 and 2 counts, very favorable, favorable counts, especially in that first inning. And then you mentioned the Peyton Graham error. If he collects that and makes a clean play, they're out of the inning there with a 1 2 3 inning. And we go on to the second or we go on to Oklahoma's at bat. And then I believe it was in the second inning. Now it was a difficult play for the second baseman, but he comes up with the ball and he makes a really poor throw. You know, like he one hops it on the run. Like you need a better throw from that. They, they, they ruled it a, an infield single. But I, when I saw the play, I was like, that's clearly an error, even though he was going to have to rush to make the throw. I mean, he picked it up cleanly. It just made a really poor throw. Um, and so I, I feel like, Oklahoma just wasn't able to finish on Saturday and on Sunday, Cade Horton carried them, but they weren't able to get enough hits with when they had runners on, they had the first and third situation. And we'll talk about the, the uh, interference or not interference call uh, that was made here in a second. And we'll talk uh, about Skip Johnson and whether he made the right decision to pull Cade Horton or not. Uh, But I just feel like they, they kind of let themselves down in a lot of instances on Saturday and Sunday, both. But let's talk about those two situations, Skip Johnson and Cade Horton and the interference call here uh, after you hear from more of our sponsors. So Josh, the two kind of big storylines that came out of this game. First, let's start with the interference call. When you saw it live, kind of what was your initial reaction to that? I thought they were going to overturn it. I thought that they were going to call him out and I thought they were going to send the runners back to what first and first, first and third, third yeah with with two gone that 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 was kind of my initial fear because i can see where he stepped inside the baseline now having said that i don't like the rule i think in that instance like to me to me you reward really what was not even a great throw over to first base in the first place and you punish a team in Oklahoma who executed its bunt beautifully. Okay, mm-hmm. so you maybe you you have a foot a little bit inside the baseline, and I get they've got the area chalked up to the side that's supposed to be the running lane, but this was not egregiously interfering with first base. Like there's different degrees of interference at first base. So while I had the fear as it went to replay 
oh, man, they're going to come back and they're going to wipe this run off the board. It's going to be a massive swing in this baseball game when it looks like Oklahoma's maybe poised for a, a big inning coming off that throwing air that they had on Pettis uh, to, to maybe seize control of this game too, force a game three, and who knows, go on and win a national championship on Monday. I had the fear they were going to overturn it. They did overturn it. I just, again, what I said right there, John, to me, it's a lousy rule. I don't really like the enforcement of the rule. And to always get into that debate of, like the example I'm trying to think of here is at the end of a basketball game, do you do you blow the whistle or do you officiate the game the way you've officiated the game throughout the entirety of it? Do you call the foul or do you let them play through it and maybe be a little bit more physical than you did at other points in the game? And I understand sometimes that's a controversial topic. A lot of times I want to see him play. I don't want to see the whistle blown right there at the at the end of the game to decide a ball game at the charity stripe. And I kind of feel similarly here to where did that totally decide the national championship for Oklahoma? No. Do I think Ole Miss was the better team throughout these two games collectively? Yes, I do. But does that alter the complexion of game two dramatically for Oklahoma? And do I feel like OU has every right to have a legitimate beef coming out of this thing based on the way that call was made? Heck yeah, I do. I think it's incredibly disappointing for Oklahoma. Like I said, by the letter of the law, okay, I can see why they called it interference. I just have a really hard time wrapping my head around them actually pulling the trigger on that call in this situation with everything that stood in the balance and ultimately maybe cost an OU a chance to play for a national championship on Monday. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I've like played baseball and really, really watched baseball. You know, I used to that used to be my sport to watch every single Texas Rangers game every week, you know, every every night, basically. Uh, then when we moved overseas, I kind of lost track of it. But the thing that was surprising to me is that both runners have to return to their original starting point. I'm like, how how does that work when Ole Miss they gave up the run. Like they, they purposefully didn't throw home. They threw to first and like, we're conceding the run here and we're getting the out at first. I can, now I can understand sending the runner back to first because he was able to advance from second to third because of the quote unquote throwing or the error at the, at the bag. But when they're conceding a run, how do you then send him back to me? To me, that was the part that was like a little bit flabbergasting to me. Like, yes, maybe it's, it's right in the in the law in the rule of the law but maybe not so right when you think of like context you know what i mean like it'd be one thing if there was runner interference and you know he was advancing home and that's where the interference happened you send him back or something like that but when they're just straight giving up the out to me or giving up the run to me that's that's you know yes it's part of the rule but again i was a bit surprised by that i'm with you i think it's it's a bad enforcement at a bad time when, you know, I was listening to Toby Rowland, the great Toby Rowland talk about it on the broadcast and, and his uh, partner, I can blank it on his name, Taylor Maples. Thank you, Taylor Maples. And they're talking about it like, okay, yes, he stepped in line and in, inside the line, but that wasn't his line. Like that wasn't his path to first base. You know, like he, he, it wasn't egregious. He wasn't even like trying to overcorrect. He just kind of made one step. Um, and again, by the letter of the law, sure. But, the enforcement of it, you're like, eh, okay. 
Um, it just goes to show like sometimes having replay to our at, at our disposal isn't necessarily the best thing. Um, I feel like we've kind of lost the intent of replay at times, but if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're loving replay right now because Josh is right. It did change the complexion of the baseball game uh, for Oklahoma. And then here's the second thing we got to talk about. And, you know, Josh, we'll, we'll probably fall on the same side of this, but we'll have to just talk about where people are coming from. And that's Skip Johnson's decision to pull Cade Horton. And here's what he said after the game, according to Jesse Crittenden. He said, Cade wanted to keep going, but I had to look out for him and his future. I was really proud of him. So let's consider the fact that Cade Horton had Tommy John surgery last year, had pitched kind of minimally throughout the season, wasn't really a, a regular starter, but came on strong down the stretch, was Oklahoma's best pitcher, arguably, in the NCAA tournament. Um, was pitching fantastic, but you know, in that in that inning, you know, he got the strikeout, then gave up the hit. Um, maybe starting to show a little chink in the armor a little bit. Up to 107 pitches. Eddie Radosevich of Sooner Scoop mentioned that that was the most he's thrown all season. If you are like me and you follow Tom House on Twitter, Tom House, renowned pitching instructor, instructor. Just has a lot of really, you know, good ideas about how to best manage kids as they're coming up through the youth ranks. And he talks a lot about pitch counts and how, you know, the more you throw, the more strain that is on the arm and the more potential for damage and injury. And so I've seen people criticize Skip for pulling Cade Horton when he was throwing well and putting in Trevor Michael. Now, I feel like these are two separate discussions here. Um but I don't mind him pulling him, especially if that's his, that was his motive and that was intent for doing so. So many times we look at these players as assets. We look at these players as what they can do for us on our field at our moment. And especially when we're considering college kids who have futures in professional sports like Cade Horton obviously does. I, I very much respect Skip Johnson's willingness to say, listen, he was pitching well but I was looking out for his long-term health because he'd reached, you know, his season high pitch count and it was time to, to pull him and, and give his arm a break. I very much respect that. I understand where people are coming from, but I think that's the right thing to do. My daughter, she's six right now. She's actually started just getting into softball. And if she decided she wanted to be a pitcher, pitch count would be important. Like managing wear and tear is important. If you have a kid that's pitching, you know, at the youth level or high school level, make sure you're managing their pitch count, their, their wear and tear, because the arm can only take so much over a certain amount of time. But Cade Horton, yes, he wanted to go. He's a gamer. He's a competitor. I like that Skip Johnson didn't really give him the option. You know, most managers might go out there and say, hey, what do you want to do? You still good? You want to keep going? And we saw, what was it, a few weeks ago where a, a coach let a pitcher throw 145, 150 pitches in a game. To me, that was just egregious. That's like coaching malpractice, in my opinion. And so I very much respect what Skip Johnson did. Josh, where do you fall on this side of thing? What, do you, what are your thoughts? So to start, I'll just address that. I get where the fan outrage comes from. It's, okay, Kate Horton has the most strikeouts we've ever seen in a men's college world series championship final going right now. So what that he's got one runner on first base, you know, you're, you're leading 
you're, you're, you're leading here two to one, trying to force the uh, decisive national championship game. It should be Cade Horton's game to go win. Don't take him out. I get that. I get that frustration. Totally makes sense to me. The angle of Skip Johnson with protecting his arm, I think you're right. I mean, I think we're just in a day and age to where there's so much knowledge out there that, like, that's that's number one, right? That's most important that the guy's throwing 107 pitches. It, it's over. His day is done. He's delivered for you the seven and a third innings that he needed to deliver, and it was terrific. He was fantastic with what he did for Oklahoma. The other thing I would just say is this. Skip Johnson, regardless of Kate Horton's future or what you think Oklahoma should have done, I think Skip Johnson managed the situation correctly. I think in that particular instance, that was always going to be Kate Horton faces one batter in the eighth inning, and that's it because of where the pitch count was at. He was triple digits in the pitch count. He was only going to see that one batter. They were immediately going to go to Trevin Michael either way. It just so happened that the decision got easier because it's a leadoff single there or uh, it's a one-out single there, right? And you go to Trevin Michael, who, oh, by the way, has been nails, has been nails for Oklahoma. And it just didn't work out for Trevin Michael. Uh, You know, there was some timely hitting that I think you have to tip your cap to, to Ole Miss. They went out and won the thing uh, from Oklahoma rallying back the way they did right then and there in the uh, eighth inning. So sometimes you make the right managerial decision, which I think Skip Johnson did, and it just doesn't work out. And that's what I think happened to Oklahoma. And I hate that for Trevin Michael because he's been so good for OU, and unfortunately he's he's going to leave this championship final and feel like, man, I, I really let these guys down. But I hope that if this finds its way back to him, Trevin, this team would not have been in that situation without all of your heroics leading up to that moment. So sometimes you make the right decision and it just doesn't happen and another team beats you. And I think that's what happened to Oklahoma. I don't think we fan the flames at Skip Johnson here and talk about how he got this thing wrong. He got the decision right on multiple levels and it just didn't work out for OU. Yeah, he's been great over the last two months to get them there. I mean, the decision to start David Sandlin earlier this week or last week, who gave you a, an ace performance. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the, the call to go to Trevor Michael in that, that really tight situation was the right call. Like you mentioned, the Oklahoma Sooners wouldn't have gotten to the national championship series without Trevor Michael. He'd been, he's been great. And I'm really glad you mentioned it because I was actually thinking it in my mind as you were talking. And, and that's just what it comes down to is sometimes you just either – sometimes you beat yourself. You, mistakes happen. It happens to all of us. We're all human. It sucks. It really sucks for Trevin that it happened in that situation because the dude has been great for months now for this Oklahoma Sooners team. He's been he, – for a long time, he was their most reliable pitcher. He was the guy that they could count on for, for any situation, whether it was a start, a relief appearance. The dude pitched you know, back-to-back – in you know multiple inning you know appearances they weren't safe situations but he had multiple inning appearances where one time he pitched two and two third or two and a third and the other time he pitched two innings and you're like this guy's just available all the time and so and he would have loved he he lives for those situations like he wanted to be in in that situation if I can read Trevor Michael's mind like that's his moment to come in 
tight ball game, runner on first. I'm going to come in, shut this down, get us back to the plate. Let us go win this thing. And yeah, unfortunate. That's really the best thing, best word I can use to describe how it all played out. But you can't take away what the, the dude did all year long, what he's meant to this team in the NCAA tournament and the College World Series. And the same goes for Skip Johnson. You cannot take away the five straight series wins, the call, the Big 12 tournament title, the what was it, two just two losses in the NCAA tournament, unbeaten through the College World Series. This was a team that wasn't I – mean, we talked about it earlier. They were a bubble team back in mid-April at best and went on a run and got to the College World Series when the number one team in the nation didn't do it. No unseeded team made it to the NCAA championship, but Oklahoma did. And you got to credit your manager for that. you got to credit the guys that got you there, even if things didn't go the way that you planned on going. Any other thoughts on – on Oklahoma season or the college world series this weekend, Josh. I think, uh, and probably I should have led with this. It was a remarkable run for Oklahoma baseball. It was a remarkable season for Oklahoma baseball. And this is a remarkable team for Oklahoma baseball. So while we're sitting here discussing what didn't go right for Oklahoma in this championship final, I hope when folks are sitting back and listening to this, you understand that we're keeping in perspective too. This, this team was amazing. We're just breaking down how this didn't go right versus Ole Miss, but it shouldn't be lost on anybody. The importance of this postseason run for OU, how special it was for Oklahoma. And, and now you just wonder going into the future, how, how, how was, how important was this? For OU, I mean, you can't necessarily put a – I mean, it's hard to quantify that right now for OU. Going forward, we might look back in five, ten years and say, you know what? Yeah, that 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 Peyton Graham team, that uh, Trevin Michael team, that Kate Horton team, they didn't win the national championship, but that's why this Oklahoma baseball program is where it's at today. So, you know, disappointing. It sucks <laughs> finishing first runner-up. It sucks, but uh, – it kind of is what it is, and it was a great run, and you know they should be incredibly proud of themselves. It was a hell of a ride. Yeah, it absolutely was. And for the people that you know look at this matchup and look at this game and, and say Oklahoma's not ready for the SEC, let's not forget that they beat Florida in Gainesville twice. They beat the Aggies in the College World Series twice uh, to advance to the, the College World Series final. So I think Oklahoma's ready. And all of the improvements to the facilities, to the stadium, that's coming. Everything at Oklahoma is raising their game to get ready for that move to the SEC. And I, one tweet I thought was great, and I need to be better about it next year, is getting out there to the ballpark and actually seeing a game. I live out in eastern Oklahoma, so it's a little bit more tricky for me. But I'm going to make sure we make an effort to get out there for, for an Oklahoma baseball game. Because I love baseball, man. There's nothing better than going to a ballpark, sitting there, looking at the freshly cut grass, just smelling the field kind of waft up into the, the Oklahoma air, you know, hearing the crack, not the crack, the cling of the bat, you know, hearing the, the pounding of the mitt. Like that's as a, f- a former baseball player, I played baseball like all through, you know, high school and stuff like that. It's like romantic sounds to my ears. Like somebody else for a guitar, for me, it's the ball hitting the mitt, man. I loved it. And man, it's been a lot of fun, you know, watching this team this season, especially over the last few months. And, and we're looking forward to, what they're going to do in, in 2023, um, 
again, Josh, any more parting thoughts? Kind of last, last hurrah here. Again, just a, an amazing season. I'm disappointed for this group that they didn't get to, you know, get that national championship. But again, so much to be proud of, man. So much. So much. And hey, great job, guys. Uh, we're rooting for you. We're pulling for you. Best of luck in whatever you're doing. Hope you're coming back, most of y'all. But if you're moving on to the next level, which some of you deserve to to uh, pursue those major league baseball deals, uh, best of luck to you. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are free and available on all podcast platforms. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. You can listen to Josh Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. You can read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. You can also find the show over on YouTube. Again, just 55 subscribers from 2000. Help us get us there. Make sure you tell a friend. Go back and listen to us some of our former episodes where we had Jackson Arnold, we had Joshua Bates, we had Alex Tarocco, we got Caleb Hicks coming up this week. So make sure you're tuned in for all of that. And until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams, Boomer Sooner.